0: So my, you know, my, I guess, personal testimony is always a little complicated because uh, I I kind of feel like I was all over the map. So I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, You know, I think by the age of like eight, I had come to a place of faith in some way, shape, or form. And then I, you know, I kind of went into that rebellious season. Many of us in this room probably know that story, right? You know, you get into the season where it's like, Your faith is less personal, and then by the age of 13, I start asking questions. I'm like, okay, is this my faith, or is this my parents' faith? Am I going to church and trying to do these Christian things uh, because I believe it, or is it because my dad and my mom are making me mostly my mom? Yeah, and so by the age of 13, super rebellious, I was full of a lot of anger, a lot of uh, frustration, just a lot of really bad uh, attitude stuff. And pretty much um, the story is like this. When I turned 13, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do my own thing for a while, take a break. And so I was doing all the bad things that you can do. And and what happened, every single time I do something bad, I'd get caught, okay? And, uh, and some of you know uh, this story, but it's like I get caught, and then my mom would, you know, catch me. And, like, I was really trying to be pretty smart about it. Cause like one of the things my mom wouldn't let me listen to some like not Christian music and like, you know, Snoop Dogg's album came out and I was like, all right. So I had a friend make a tape. So those are these things that are about this big. And they used to go to a tape player and you'd push a button, right? And, uh, but I, on the outside of it, I, I put DC talk. And on the other side, I was like, Jesus is cool. And I was like, my mom will never know. And she came downstairs one more, one you know, morning when I was getting ready, and she's like, What are you listening to? And I was like, DC talk, Jesus is cool, mom. And then she like let me see that, took it and went upstairs and put it on the stereo. And I was like, ah. And so I was always getting in trouble. And my mom would always say this every time. She would always say, Well, the Holy Spirit told me. And yeah, I was I was like, man, the Holy Spirit and you got a pretty close relationship. Y'all talk about me. And, uh, and then I found out my little sister was ratting me out on everything. I was like, oh, the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like my little sister. That's interesting. And, uh, but like that happened all throughout my, my like whole entire, you know, teenage years. It was like I kept getting caught for everything. And, and then I went through this really challenging uh, time of my life in that my dad ended up, um, and my dad, this, this is great, great story in some ways, but He ends up going to prison. He got got sentenced for a business transaction thing that had happened a long time ago. uh, Before that, he gets sentenced to to prison, and he goes to prison when I was like 15 years old. And I will say that I do think that 15-year-old kids, just like 12-year-old kids and 9-year-old kids and 22-year-old kids need to have their parents as much as they can, right? Um, Doesn't mean that God can't work through single-parent situations and God can't raise up other people, but by and large it's helpful to ha- have your parents around, so I go into this really deep like just angry I was angry at God uh, for allowing that to happen. Um, I was angry at my dad, and I was really just just oh so full of rage and and so then, um, when I was about seventeen or eighteen years old, I came to a place of like renewing my faith, and what happened is there was this girl that went to our youth group that I was like she i She's not as good as Don. It's the first thing you need to know. In fact, she was very ugly, okay? But calm down. But anyway, I went to this youth group event, and I was like, oh, there's this girl. And I was at this youth group event at a concert, and then I heard the gospel, the story of, wh- of who Jesus is and what he had done for me, again, I heard it again. I'd heard it a million times, but I heard it, and it like, spoke to me, and I made a decision to renew my faith in Jesus, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to try to go in this. But I was still really angry, and I was really bitter, and really full, just full of unforgiveness at my dad in particular and at God. Even though I was trying to renew my faith, that makes no sense. But it's where I was at. Like there was moments where I was like, "Yeah, I really love God," but then I, deep down, had all this anger at God. And so, uh, so fast forward. Basically, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of going into my young adult life, and I'm still full of all this like angst and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness. and And I don't know if you've found this to be true, if that's you, but it's really hard to like go through life when you're full of all that stuff, right? It's just like, you're just stuck, super stuck, couldn't get unstuck. I'd like take one step forward, two steps back, and then sometimes two steps forwards, and then 18 steps back, you know? It's like constantly in that that state of mind. It was really, really challenging. Uh, We'll come back to that in a minute, but we are in this sermon series right now where we're talking about bringing Jesus home, because we're moving into this season of the holidays, and many of us are going to spend a lot more time with those who are closest to us. And last week, we kind of seemed like it was about 50-50. Some of us thought that the holidays are great, when we spent all of our time with our family, and then some of us were honest and said, no, it's very stressful. And, uh, and, and and so I think, though, as followers of Jesus, we should be concerned about sharing our faith with our families and our friends and our cl- those ones who are closest to us. I mean, I think that that's pretty normal, and Several of the reasons why is as a follower of Jesus, when I'm reading the Gospels, I see in the Gospel of John where Jesus says that I came to give abundant life. And because I love those who are closest to me, I want them to experience abundant life, right? Um, I, I I want my close family members and I want my friends to know Jesus because I believe that Jesus changes us in a positive way. And then, quite frankly, I think the second reason why we should be concerned about that is because we want to be concerned about the eternal fate of our loved ones. Like I've actually done a lot of polling on this question and I I've, I've, would love to know what you think, but is there anybody in the room that would like to go to hell? Okay. Just like no one ever stands up and says, I will take it. Like everybody, if you're honest, is like we don't want to go down that path, right? But what happens is in society right now, there's all these all these different ideologies and worldviews that are shaping the way that we think about eternal life. And many people, I think, we just haven't thought about that question of like, if I were to die right now, what would happen? And as a follower of Jesus, who I, I take Scripture very, very seriously, I'll say this. I think that there is nothing worse that could happen than to be eternally separated from God. Like, I just... I don't care if you hold to eternal conscious torment or annihilationism. these two perspectives that are pretty popular in evangelical churches. The point is is that in the future, if you're not with Jesus, it's bad. okay it's bad and so because of that uh, i'm 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 motivated by by love and concern. I think those are those are the reasons why we want to see our family and friends and those people close to us come to know jesus and you know, last week we looked at Matthew 19, and what we did is we, we discovered that those family members or loved ones that we really feel are unreachable, and it's absolutely impossible that they would come to faith, what we discovered is that with God, all things are possible, and because of that, we should be praying. And today, I want to read from one of my favorite passages. I mean, I love this passage. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. I want to read it, I want to pray, and then we're going to talk about this for a few minutes here. But in Luke chapter 15, we read these words. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you would die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. But the time his money ran out, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And Father, I ask now that as we spend a few minutes thinking about this passage, that you would help speak to our hearts and help us to see how it applies to each one of us as we think about reaching our family, our friends, and also being reached as a family and a friend. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this is the parable of the prodigal son, and there's a lot that we can learn from this passage in relation to sharing our faith with our family, I think. Um, I mean, I think it's easy for us to imagine being more effective sharing our faith with those we are closest to, though, right? Like When we think about sharing our faith with our family and friends, many of us automatically think of our favorite uncle or our favorite aunt. or or that grandchild that we, we just absolutely love. Rarely do we think about the people that are close to us that we actually have a challenging relationship with. Maybe some of you do, but that's not always the way that I think about it. But the question is, what about sharing Jesus with family members that dislike us or despise us or reject us? How do we reach them? You know, how do we reach any of those people? Um, is there anybody in the room that would say that, yeah, you've got some family members or close friends friends that are in that in that category? Because sometimes we have friends because they're friends of friends, right? But we don't get along with them. And so the question is, like, well, how do we reach those people when they dislike us, despise us, or reject us? Now, in this passage, uh, one of the sons is like that. He dislikes and despises and rejects his father. Now, you have to understand the cultural implications of what that first son does when he says, Father, give me my inheritance. In the ancient world, that was akin to saying, Father, I hope you die. Right? Like, I want my inheritance now. So you mean nothing to me. Give me what is mine, what is due mine, and let me go live my life. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty, I can't imagine anything worse than that. That's a father. Can you give me your inheritance now? It's the same as saying, I hope you die. So how do you reach those who reject you, despise you, or dislike you that are in your family circle? Well, first of all, I think, can we just acknowledge that uh, sharing our faith with family members is very emotional? It's super emotional, I think. I mean, it's way more emotional, and I think it's way more emotional because we tend to care for these family members and close friends more than we do for everybody else. Case in point, I care more about my kids than any of you. And I care about a lot of you, a lot, right? We, like, we have to acknowledge that when it comes to family, it's like there's something different about it, right? Like, we, I mean, there's just nothing worse than thinking about our, our kids. Like, that's my one of my greatest concerns is my kids coming to know Jesus, right? And so there's a lot of skin in the game, right? Like, we are emotionally charged by topics like this, right? There's a lot of different reasons for that. So it gets really super emotional, I think, when it comes to talking about about sharing our faith with our family members. And for most people, I think there's two common emotions that we experience when sharing our faith with family. There's two common, and it's this right here. One of them is guilt, and one of them is anger. Guilt and anger are very, very common. I think we feel guilty because we feel like oftentimes maybe we weren't bold enough, or we weren't effective enough, or patient enough, or we weren't as convincing as we should have been. And so we like stew in this, this feeling of like guilt, like, oh man, I just could have done a better job. And we might even feel guilty because our family members act like we're traitors. I mean, I have a friend who, who grew up, he's, he's uh, from a Middle Eastern uh, country and he grew up, his family's all Muslims. And so when he came to faith in Jesus, his family was like, why are you, why are you rejecting our culture and our heritage? And they made him feel really guilty for that. You know, because they felt like he had rejected his family members. And so guilt is a is a significant feeling I think we have. Another one is that sometimes we feel really, really angry at our family. I, I felt that way before because like they don't listen to us or they don't understand our faith. Or when I was growing up, I had this one particular uncle who would just make fun of my faith in Jesus all the time. Like just it was just absolutely Sarcastic about everything, and anything anytime I ever did anything that was positive, was that because of Jesus you know, and so it was really hard not to want to punch him right in the face, you know, but he also could beat me up, so i wouldn't um, but this these are some of the reasons why I think um, it's important for us as followers of Jesus to really pursue emotional health, right because we have to actually kind of like be be on, be on our P's and Q's when it comes to interacting with family, because if we do jump to conclusions or we do say the wrong thing, it just makes it worse, right? Like, I've had that happen where it's like you lose your temper a little bit and you say something in response to them, and then they have more fuel for their fire, right? And that's why I think one of the most important Bible verses in all of the Bible for all of us to, like, memorize is James 1.19, and in James one nineteen, we have the best advice for interpersonal relationships, where James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If we could live by that, when we got on Facebook, the world would be a better place, <laughs> right? Because we pretty much do the opposite of that. But this, this, this passage of Scripture, I think, is very, very helpful, and so we need to do that when it comes to interacting with family, because back to the prodigal son in Luke 15, we, we really need to like kind of see how this family dynamic is shaping this story. Um, I think that this story in Luke 15 is actually incorrectly titled, because everyone's focus in the prodigal son parable has been the recklessly wasteful son. And that's why we call it the prodigal son. But I don't think the son is actually the prodigal here. If we really read this story, we're going to realize that it's not the son that's the prodigal, it's the father who is the prodigal. And this is the definition of prodigal right here. It's, it's, there's a couple ways to think about it, as an adjective or as a noun, but it's wastefully or recklessly extravagant. It's the giving or yielding profusely. It's being very generous and lavish. Okay? Um, it's the person who is wasteful of their money or their possessions. That's generally how we interpret it. But who is, when you read this passage, who is it that's extravagantly lavish, that gives freely without measure? It's the father, isn't it? The father is like, let's let's do this quick. Let's kill this fattened calf. Let's have a party. We're going to celebrate, right? I mean, immediately. And so um, when I think about this story, I think that we have to understand that the father is the prodigal, and that's the the goal is for us to be like him. And guess what? The father in the story represents the Father God. So, what does this teach us about reaching our family? I think there's two two principles uh, that we can apply to reach the hard to reach family and friends. Like, there's two things that we can kind of just grab out of this really quickly. And the first one is this: never stop praying. That was last week. Like we saw that with God, all things are possible. So we should never ever. Ever, ever, ever stop praying because um, as, we, as we talked about last week, prayer makes a difference. In all evangelism, whether it's to family or friends, all evangelism, all of sharing our faith that effectively helps people come to know Jesus exists in the realm of the miraculous. Okay, So we need God's help, especially with those difficult relationships. So never stop praying. And then secondly, we can never stop loving. You know, the father of this story, who represents God, the father of this story, um, you know, demonstrates in an unwavering amount of love and compassion and literally jumps at the opportunity to extend that love to his wayward son. And so, you know, back to my story, um, I'm, I'm 16 years old, my dad goes to prison, and he goes to prison for one year. Really, really challenging for me. And then he comes back, and, and my personal experience was he comes back, and then I have, at that time, I had four younger sisters, and he, like, really reconnects it with each one of those. But I felt like my dad didn't really try very hard with me. And, and now, as a dad, I know it was because he did not know how to talk to me about it. It was awkward and it was like, what do we say? And so we just kind of went back into life as usual and I just got more and more angry and more and more bitter and more and more unforgiving and more and more like just full of rage. And so then I, you know, it was great for my hockey career, by the way. <laughs> you know, I was like, yes, I like fighting, let's go. Uh, but then I go to college and I'm in college and, I, and a few years later I meet Dawn and I fall madly in love with Don because she's amazing. And she made me cookies the first time we ever hung out, and I was like, "Sold. I'm in." and uh, And then we, we we basically we we were friends for a year, um, kind of dating, I guess. And then I was like, "You want to get married?" She was like, "Yeah, I need out of this house." I was like, "All right, <laughs> let's do it." That's a joke, but not really. Uh, but we get we basically get engaged. And I mean, like, we go out, we have this romantic, you know, engagement party, and I ask her to marry me, and she says yes, and I'm like, oh my gosh, my mind's blown, and the next day, I call my mom, and I'm like, hey, I just wanted to let you know, Don and I are engaged, and my mom, I'd already kind of told her I was going to ask, obviously, but she's like, oh, that's great, you know, what are you guys thinking, and we're like, I want to get married tomorrow, I'm so in love with her, you know, we're going to be so different than everybody else, because we have love, and, uh, and my mom says, she's like, okay, that's awesome. We're so, we're so glad. She says, do you want to tell your dad? And I'm like, no. Why would I tell him anything? And mind you, we had, like, we didn't have a bad, like, we didn't fight ever, but I just honestly was like, why would I, we don't have, like, eh, no. And she says to me, she says, you know, Luke, you have a lot of bitterness and anger at your dad that you need to deal with. And all of a sudden, you could feel it coming, and I start bawling my eyes out. And um, so I end up talking to my dad, and I just told him I'm sorry for being angry at him. And you know he feels terrible, and he apologizes, and we have this bonding moment. And then he he asks me to go to this stupid, dumb church thing. Uh, <laughs> And I go to this—it was a fishing trip, first of all, so it's was like, I couldn't say no, but I went, and I was there with all these other Christian dudes who were, like, talking to me about forgiveness the whole time, and I'm like, no. And uh, But while I'm there, I have this encounter with God, and that's actually kind of how I end up doing pastor stuff, because, like, I had this calling in my life that I was running from, but it was in the midst of this space where I experienced from my dad— because my dad, even though I was angry, bitter, and I was holding this all in, my dad just loved me unconditionally that whole entire time. Like, even though I was mean and I was not interested in pursuing a relationship, my dad just kept on trying to be there. He just kept on loving me. He just kept on doing that. And here's the good news, because some of you don't have that dad. I mean, I know. And, And so here's the cool thing, is that if you're in this room, you can be that person for someone else, just by being an unconditional lover just you're going to you're going to never stop praying never stop loving and that is the way that the kingdom of god works that is how people learn about god the father they get to experience the radical lavish unconditional love of god through people and it's absolutely beautiful let's stand up together so I want to just our band's going to come up we're going to close with a song in a minute here we're going to sing a song in a minute. You can stand up here. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, it's about to get good. Don's going to do a solo. <laughs> nope. Okay. Now I kind of want to hear that actually. But uh, and Don, you'll come up in a minute after we sing the song. But here's what I want to do for just a moment, okay? Um, in fact, you can close your eyes for a minute. Just, just kind of, we want to respond, I think, to to God. There's a couple of things that I think we can just take away. So y'all heard we need to not not stop praying. So you imagine those more difficult, challenging family members and close friends in your life. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop loving. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop loving. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop. Let's try it. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop loving. Okay. Don't. Don't stop. Just keep on praying. Keep on loving. Okay. Um, but here's the here's the reality of how this could also apply for us for a minute. Here is this. Don't be the older brother. The older brother in that story despises the fact that somebody starts to experience grace. And so, with those more challenging family members that are that are tough, um, when they come to faith, it's really easy. Maybe even despise that. Like I tried for years to reach you, and then you went to a stupid conference and came to faith with Jesus. How dare you! Okay? So don't despise him. Don't be the older brother. And the second thing is this, folks. If you're a parent in this room, especially, um, but this is true for any of our family members, okay? I believe that most of us in this room with our family, we love our, we love our kids more than anything in the world. Okay? But God loves them more. God loves them more. And and so, our family members, whether it's our kids or some of the family members that we just would say they're they're really challenging, they're hard to reach, we can't see them coming to faith. God has this really beautiful way of working in their lives, and they might have to experience life a little bit. They might have to get punched in the face a little bit to come to a place of seeing Jesus for who He is. Okay, and so don't lose faith. Keep on praying. Keep on loving. Never stop praying. Never stop loving. We're going to sing a song in a minute here, and this is what I want you to be, to be thinking about, is those family members that you're going to keep praying for this month, they, they're not without, uh, there's, there's, there's hope for them. There's hope for them, amen? And, and maybe you're here this morning and you haven't made a personal decision to follow Jesus yet. I want to encourage you to do that today. There's no reason to like put it off. There's no reason to put it off. Today could be the day where you experience God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, and God's truth. And so if that's you this morning, if you're like, yeah, I want to make that decision, I'd love to talk to you after the service. You can come track myself myself down. You could talk to any anybody on this stage, I'm sure we'd be more than willing to tell you to talk to Mel. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's sing this song. But God, would you would you continue to work in our lives to help each of us to both experience forgiveness and mercy, and then to extend forgiveness and mercy, and would you help move us by compassion, that when we think of our family members, those who are more difficult and challenging to reach, would you you motivate us to keep on trying, to keep on believing, to keep on working, Lord, because you are at work in everybody's life. There's not a human being alive where your spirit is not at work. We pray this in Jesus' name.